From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. Arguably, no industry has been impacted by COVID more than healthcare. And because of this disruption, no industry has probably moved as fast to embrace innovation, whether they wanted to or not. For example, telemedicine, which has been around for more than a decade, has suddenly become not only a mainstream option, but also a way to create access that simply wasn't possible before. On today's episode, we speak with someone with intimate knowledge of the healthcare industry, Peggy Troy, who is the president and CEO of Children's Wisconsin, a hospital system with over 5,000 employees and more than a billion dollars in revenue. In our conversation, we discuss how to innovate inside a heavily regulated industry, the importance of having passion for your work, and the value of being a servant leader. We also talk about Peggy's unique career path to CEO, going from a degree in nursing to running an entire healthcare system. Her background has given her a different perspective than your typical business leader. As she says, if you wanna be a CEO, you need to understand the value of your workforce. It's about the people. I don't care what business you're in, it's about the people. That's what's on tap today, enjoy. So Peggy, welcome and thanks for joining me today on Innovators on Tap. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be a part of the Innovators on Tap. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit, you know, how did you end up in this incredible position, right? You're running Children's Hospital as CEO, but I think you started out, you were a nurse and then you moved on to become a nurse administrator, operator, and eventually you're running, I think it was a seven hospital-wide system in Memphis before you end up back at Children's. Did you ever think when you were starting your career as a nurse, you'd end up running a hospital? Never in my wildest dreams. I wanted to be a nurse. Um, I had all this influence from a medical family. My four older sisters are nurses as well. Because of, of what I witnessed with my own family, taking care of people really meant a lot to me. I often say, when I if I if you told me when I was sitting in the student union at Marquette in a pair of overalls you know, hanging out with my friends that I would someday become a CEO of a $1.5 billion company, I would have probably messed it up a long way somehow, because I just, it's, un, you know, I, but, you know, when I think back about how did you do that, um, I had some really great opportunities along the way, um, but I always uh, stuck to my guns about doing the right thing. And so, um, you know, and I spoke up, you know, uh, I was asked early out of my career to take a leadership role um, and, and I just, from then on, um, was able to continue to successfully, uh, engage in, in more leadership roles, you know, with greater responsibility along the way. So being the CEO and being trained as a nurse instead of, you know, the classic CEOs that go to business school route, do you think it's been an advantage or a disadvantage or maybe a little of both? Frankly, when I think about it, Chuck, I think it's been a huge advantage. And I'll tell you why, because when I need to influence outcomes, particularly with the medical community, the, I frequently hear, oh, you get it, you're a nurse. 
And so if you can combine the business skills with the clinical skills, and even though I haven't really been at the bedside for many years, people know I know what it's like, right? And so as you're making decisions, you're making strategic decisions, um, you get, I, I think you get a lot of buy-in. I, I've really been able to garner a lot of uh, support for how I felt that the organizations that I worked for needed to evolve. And, you know, it was even to the point that while everybody didn't necessarily always love the decision, they at least felt that they had, they had input because I'm very engaging in input. I don't make decisions in a vacuum. I had some skills gap in some of the more traditional business things. And one of my mentors early on, when I was a new vice president, I said, well, do I need to go back and get an MBA? And he said, you know, he's basically like, Troy, you know, you know a lot of this stuff and you're going to surround yourself with people who have those kinds of skills like finance. Um, so you're fine. If you do go on to pursue an MBA, it's, uh, it's not necessary for your continued career growth. Yeah, I think it was maybe last year sometime I had before COVID, I had a chance to come in and spend uh, a few hours with you walking around Children's Hospital. And yeah. The thing that struck me at some point during the day, it, I, I really started to realize what makes children's different and unique and that, you know, treating children isn't the same thing as they're not little adults, they're different. And maybe you could just give, you know, for the audience who doesn't fully understand what makes children's unique, give us kind of that, you know, one or two minute version of what is this unique challenge that you're taking on there? Kids come in all sorts of stages and ages, um, you know, and so... And, and kids are very vulnerable, but I'll tell you, they're also incredibly insightful and incredibly wise. Uh, and so we need to, and kids come with families and, you know, we're not just treating the kids. We're, we're treating the family and the family is defined by the family. We don't get to define the family. And uh, there's many different ways that that uh, plays itself out. And they're in this unique like I said, uh, space of growth and development. And so we've got to be very sensitive to what are the needs of the kids as they're developing in relation to what they're experiencing in the hospital. So, and we also let kids uh, drive some of how it happens. Uh, you know, there's certain strict ways we've got to follow a, a procedure, but they get to have some choices in that. And again, that, that helps them with that experience. We have to think of all aspects of a kid's life. And I'll tell you recently, We've launched off into uh, mental and behavioral health before the pandemic, and we're making a $75 million investment in aligning our system in a way in which we can really identify and address these issues early so that it doesn't have to lead to, you know, incarceration and these other things with unresolved mental health issues. And in fact, you can diagnose anxiety and depression in a kid as early as two. I want to switch and talk a little bit about innovation, which is something you and I have chatted about in the past. And I think, you know, if we were having this conversation pre-COVID, you know, we would have talked about, you know, the need for innovation in healthcare and some of the challenges. And, and one of the ways I always like to describe it to people is that you know, fundamental to innovation is risk. But when it comes to healthcare, risk can have some truly life or death consequences sometimes. So there tends to be this tension. And my sense, though, is, is that COVID has kind of put you and, and others in the healthcare industry in, in a different place where 
I don't think you're trying to risk people's lives, but it's helped us kind of break out of some of the boundaries that we were stuck in. And I mean, what I'd love to understand is kind of what did it feel like leading pre-COVID, trying to do new ideas, and what's it like now? You know, I'm going to use digital uh, as an example. And we've made uh, a couple years ago some very um, meaningful investments to allow us to move towards a digital front door because the way we think about it is that our um, our parents are native digital users. I mean, they that's what that's how they do their lives. And when you're in a, a health system like the way we're, we've been set up, it's I mean, it's clunky. It's it's time consuming. There's a lot of lack of information and things like that. So we were moving down this path to create a digital front door. So our plan was that we were going to continue to roll out our digital effort, and we. We budgeted to do about 5,000 virtual visits in 2020. We ended the year with 76,000. And so we've been able then to now use that as a much more effective tool in all aspects of what we're doing. And so, uh, and the engagement and embracement, Chuck, that would have taken years for us to accomplish with um, our physicians because they're used to the face-to-face, come to my clinic, you know, and we'll do this. And I'll tell you, the family feedback has been very positive, and we've been able to monitor our quality and safety. And so we know that where we are using the digital space, it's very effective. I think the door is just opening for us to take advantage of what technology offers in how we take care of families. Yeah, I think the pandemic was, you know, an opportunity for all leaders to kind of push things ahead, right? And get people to try and do different things. How do you keep that going once the pandemic is behind us, right? Because, you know, these cultural values and norms, you you know, you mentioned we were still doing things the same way they were doing this in my dad's, you know, office in McHenry years ago. As a leader, how do you think about driving this rate of change post-pandemic? I think the one thing that I always refer reflect back to the physicians and to others is what does this mean in the patient experience and how can we do this in a better way so that our kids and the families get the very best of what we're able to offer them and not have to have it so inconvenient. And um, again, it's that North star. We, we always talk about the best and safest care for kids it's easier with science, research and scientific discovery. I mean, everybody wants to, you know, figure out new and different ways. That's changed remarkably from years past. And how we're tr- taking care of kids today is very different. I mean, 30 years ago, if you had acute lymphocytic leukemia, you you were going to die. And today we've got about a 98% survival rate. So that we can be innovative in those spaces and it's not, you don't have to walk around convincing people. It's these other things. And it really is about the patient experience. I think one of the biggest advantages of this is we're finally giving mental health parity with medical health. There's less stigma. And I have to tell you, Chuck, that is going to probably be one of the best things that came out of COVID is that people are not afraid to, to say, no, this is really a serious problem and we got to do something about it. You know, of our 76,000 visits that we did virtually, 34,000 of those were for mental health for kids. Yeah, I hope we never go back because I think it's probably the hidden, the hidden gem of all this is the amount of things we'll be able to prevent long term by solving 
the mental health side of it first. We're trying to drive awareness and, and destigmatize. And we've got a phenomenal campaign called Shine Through right now where we're, you know, and here's the thing the kids are okay about talking about it. It's the parents that have the big barrier because we all grew up that, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, you know, just get on with it. And you, you, there's so, I mean, un, the number of p- people today that have heart disease and other chronic illnesses because of unresolved trauma as children is exponential. You've said in the past that you can learn as much from a great leader as from a not so great leader. Can you give us an example of each? Earlier in my career, I had um, the opportunity to work uh, for somebody that basically was a relatively very insecure person. And so in that very smart, very, very knowledgeable, but very, very insecure dating way back. It wasn't just in that job. And so the way in which they chose to manifest that insecurity oftentimes was hurtful to others. It also clouded some of the decision-making about how to go about things. I took the risks many times to try to influence a a different way to think about things, uh, to derive a different outcome. Sometimes I was successful and sometimes I just wasn't. Then I went on to work for an individual who was 180 degrees different. Um, very, first of all, totally a servant leader, very comfortable in their own space. Um, interestingly, an engineer was very humble, uh, very discerning, and really came at it with a, uh, a win-win. How do we do this in a very positive and impactful way? And because of his self-assurance, reassurance, he was able to admit areas where there were opportunities for improvement, even to his board of trustees. And I, it took me a while to trust that that was real. But once I did, it really showed me the power of, of being real, um, being kind, genuine, and uh, vulnerable. I think vulnerability is a big part of a CEO's job. Yeah, I recently uh, was talking to my team here in uh, in my new role, and I I added the idea to fail fast. I said, I want you to fail out loud. I said, I want you to be willing to talk about it because when we share it, we all learn from it. And when we don't, we're going to repeat it over and over again, and it changes the dynamic. And it was a, it was, I could see a couple of people go, oh, I get it now. And although it's not comfortable for many people, it's a, it's an amazingly powerful part because at the end of the day, if we're going to pursue new ideas and do different things, it, it is about learning. And you don't learn very much if you're not trying things that don't work. That gets into being comfortable with a level of risk tolerance too. I mean, you know, I always say uh, perfection is the enemy of excellence because, in, and I have to work hard on that because I, I have a lot of perfectionists, people that want to be perfect and you're never perfect. So, you know, to me, you have to uh, always understand your risk corridor because there's risks in anything you do and be willing to evaluate what you've done against those risks. And sometimes if the risk becomes too great, you've just got to, you, you've got to pivot and change. That's Okay. Yeah, you know, you were just reminding me of a quote that I used to have on my wall, and it was from Vince Lombardi, and I'm not a Packer fan, but I love this quote. And in his early days of coaching, he said, we're going to, every day we're going to strive for perfection. And although along the way, we're, I know we're not going to achieve it, we're going to find excellence. And I had some people that would come to me and say, I thought you wanted to be perfect. I said, there's a difference between striving for it and recognizing that you won't get, we should aim for the moon and the stars. 
but recognize that along the way, you're going to find things that are going to be good enough to keep you going. And I think there's that interesting tension there between aiming super high, but not getting stuck waiting to get there. And I think it's an interesting challenge. And it's honestly one of the biggest leader challenges I can imagine, you know, leading a team of brilliant doctors, that has to be a uh, unique challenge every day. Uh, in my current job, leading a bunch of very brilliant uh, PhDs in their field, we don't need to actually know the answer to every question. Definitely. Sometimes we just got to go with it. All right, so I'm gonna now I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and ask you a series of questions about your personal mindset and really how you view certain aspects of innovation and leadership. Do you believe that your success has come more from avoiding failure or embracing failure? I think it's I think it's both. I don't think it's one or the other because I think there are certain circumstances that at all costs you need to avoid failure, and especially in my business where you know you've got the sacred duty to protect kids, but I'm not afraid of failure, uh, because, as I said, because we, I, I try to always know the risks. And so if I do head towards a greater degree of risk, you go in a different direction. And I've had several examples of that over the time that where I have made mistakes, but I've had to face up to it and, and pivot. So yeah, I think there's a time where you want to avoid it. And then there's a time where you want to embrace it. If you're going to pursue innovation with your team, what do you think is more important to their success? Embracing a culture of brutal honesty, even if it makes people uncomfortable, or creating an environment of psychological safety where you, you know, specifically adjust the conversations and try to limit confrontations? Well, I'm, I'm pretty brutally honest, um, but I do it in a way that's not hurtful. I try to do it in a way where it is... Um, there's a lesson, there's something to learn from it, and that I'm there to help you look for new and different ways to do something. So I do it with, I'm brutally honest, but I do, I hope I'm always doing it with um, a degree of kindness and compassion that helps people learn and thrive. If you're going to describe how you approach problems, would you say you are more likely to think outside the box, build a better box, or set the box on fire? When we started getting into social de determinants of health and even mental health, that was like a way outside the box, you know, concept. So in that situation, it was really important to do it outside the box. There are situations around here where we really have to stay in the box because there's safety, um, there's safety issues, there's, you know, regulatory issues. I mean, we are such a highly regulated industry that we get too far outside the box, there are going to be serious consequences. So you got to you got to know the lane you've got to stay in. Now, I've always tried to be creative to work around the edges of that and, and do the right thing. So um, so it was outside the box, inside the box, or set the box on fire. I'd love to set the box on fire when I can. You know, when I got here, we were, uh, you know, we used to be on 17th in Wisconsin. In some people's minds that we're a hospital, so we don't need we don't need to worry about all that stuff in the community, you know. So I set the box on fire because I said, look, no, we are an asset and a resource in this community. We have got to be where kids are. We can't just sit out here and only take care of them when they're sick. And so we're going to, over the next several years, embed ourselves in those communities and provide services that we're not going to get paid for. This is going to be our, our community benefit. But we're going to help kids because our goal is we want the kids of Wisconsin to be the healthiest in the nation. And that was another concept to set the box on fire because, again, a lot of hospitals are the fixer-upper shop, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
but we decided that's not good enough. We got to help kids in the state. That is awesome. So when you're evaluating talent for your team, and you mentioned that you know you've built a new team since you got there, what are the one or two must-have characteristics that you're looking for? They have to be a servant leader. Uh, that to me is one of the most important characteristics, and you know that's not always valued in workplaces where I've recruited people from. They didn't understand that concept. And in in a couple of cases, I've had to work really hard to encourage people that that's how you show up in this organization. To come into an organization like ours, if you don't practice the tenets of servant leadership, you're not going to be successful here. So when you're sitting down with a candidate, thinking about having him on your team, you know, servant leadership isn't something that's going to jump off their resume at you. How do you figure that out? You start to really ask them about you know, some very basic questions about, you know, what matters to you? What, in fact, we just did this last week. Why, why are you interested in our organization when you're out on the West coast? And, you know, when people start with, it's the mission you have and the work you're doing and that North star healthy kids, that that's what I want to sign up for. That's what I want to be a part of. When you start at that perspective, um, you start to open up individuals and tell me more about how you, how you in that role believe that you can be successful in evolving our mission and vision. Last question for you is what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or in your case, future hospital CEOs? Never miss opportunities to learn and grow. I mean, to me, that's incredibly important is to, to take advantage of every opportunity you have in order to uh, learn and be successful. Uh, I would say follow your passion. In too much of your life is your work life, and you need to find. You know, I'm blessed that I've found what I really care about and what I want to want to get up and go to work for every day. Um, because the the enormity of, of of what you undertake is really huge, and you've got to really want to drive towards that. Um, I would say be humble be a servant leader, take some risks. You're going to have to take risks. I took risks all through my career. You know, if you want to be a CEO, one of the most important things is, is really understand the value of your workforce and what they mean to the overall achievement of your strategies, your goals and objectives. It's about the people. I don't care what business you're in. It's about the people. And if you can't understand the importance of that, you're not going to be an effective CEO. Peggy, I just want to thank you for being on the show. Your insights, uh, they've been really helpful, I think, to so many people out there listening. You know, you, you, your industry and your business has come through the crisis, I think, in, in, with a really unique perspective that, uh, and a lesson we can all remember that it's about the customer. And I hope that uh, as things get back to normal, I I hope you continue to push those doctors and others to keep pushing the limits because uh, I don't think there's any doubt healthcare has gotten better in the last year because of this. And uh, I hope we can continue to do that in the future. Wish you the best of luck. And uh, this has been great fun. See you, Chuck. Thanks for your time. Thanks to Peggy for joining me on today's episode and sharing some insight from her amazing career. If there's one thing you could take away from this episode, keep in mind Peggy's advice for anyone who is waiting to do something. Remember, perfection 
is the enemy of excellence. We want to thank all of you who have embraced this show, and we hope that you will tell your friends about it. We would also really appreciate it if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us on this journey, and let's go change the world.